Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Cash Credit Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Now, we'll, we'll answer this question in a second, but we want you to think about this as well while you're listening. What was the last thing you purchased Literally, well, the last thing you purchased before you turned on today's episode, did you use cash? Did you use a card or Ben Bucks? Are you a person who still writes a check? If you said a card, in fact, if you're one of the people who just heard those questions and scoffed and thought, it's 2020, who on earth bothers with cash? Then congratulations, you're not alone. So, so what about us? If as long as we're not, you know, confessing to anything illegal what's the last thing you guys bought was it drugs it was drugs wasn't it no mine was was going to be groceries quick story i was at a kroger local grocer and uh as soon as i've got about probably a hundred dollars more maybe even than that 
worth of food in my cart. I take it up to check out and all of their network goes down. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And all I've got on me are cards. And I go, oh, well, I can't put this on the old corporate card anymore. <laughs> I was really hoping to get away with it. And I would have if it wasn't for those darned kids. Uh, anyway. kids? Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I ran across the street and I got cash out, which I never do anymore. Took it back over there. And by the time I got back, the network was up. So really, it's not a story. I didn't have to use my cash. Don't rob me. I'm not carrying it on my person. But you did. So you ultimately ended up purchasing with a card. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It makes sense, though, because it's but like it's a the only close reason, call. Yeah, yeah. Unless I'm traveling mm. and, you know, that's really the only time I'll take out a little bit of extra cash as a, like maybe something will come up that I won't anticipate. Mm-hmm. But other than that, do you carry cash, guys? I keep all my cash in my shoe. All of it. For a power move. You know, oh, okay. For when I have to like give someone some cash, I pull it out of my shoe and see if they'll take it. That's actually from an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's never happened to me. And they'll take your shoe cash. Yeah, I used to, I used to carry uh, cash in a couple of different parts of my person when I was traveling in sketchy areas. And then also when I am in cities and I use public transit a lot, it's just an old habit to always have – don't this may sound paranoid, but I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I strongly believe in not carrying all of your stuff like that in one area. You know what I mean? If you have something in your wallet, having 20 or 50 bucks in your shoe is also not as crazy as it sounds. You know, it's Agreed. a smart idea. Uh, this this interesting – Noel, did you – did you, what did you buy? Is there anything that pops to mind where like your last purchase or something? With cash? Uh, in general, in general. I bought uh, – I went to the breakfast bar at Whole Foods this morning mm-hmm. and I actually paid using my Apple Pay on my phone where you can just hold it up to the RFID reader and then you put your fingerprint in and then you put in your pin and you're done. Wow. And this – as long as these systems are in place – uh, we see a lot of advantages for a cashless society, right? You don't have to haul around large amounts of bills. You don't have to worry about counting out or receiving change. It really can be, when everything works, as simple as putting your phone up to the RFID reader. And it puts a level of difficulty between you and a potential person who's going to rob you because they can't just take your card and then immediately use it. Generally, there's some steps you have to take. Yeah. And again, in theory, right? So that's today's question. What happens in a world where these sorts of interactions, Matt at the grocery store, Noel at the breakfast buffet, what happens when those cashless transactions are the norm? What happens when they're the mandate? Well, here are the facts. For anybody in the audience today who happens to be a dragon sitting atop a pile of cash, uh, treasure, blood, and gold, don't worry just yet. Cash is still king, as they say, at least for now. That's because it represents, even today, the most frequent method of payment in the U.S. overall. That that equals out to about 31% of all consumer transactions And that's more than electronic transactions, credit cards, debit cards, or, of course, checks. And that's that's worldwide, right? Or no, that's That's U.S.-based. That's just in the U.S. Just in the U.S., 31%. Such a surprising statistic to me. The U.S. also lags behind uh, some countries, which we'll we'll explore a few examples in a moment. But this also makes me think, when's the last time you saw somebody write a check? 
it's I mean, who what do you, who even takes checks anymore? Is my question. I write. Uh, I the last time I saw a, a check or wrote a check, even interacted with a check, it was for uh, a rental agreement. That was what it was for me too, and I didn't have any checks. So you had to go get checks. I had to go get checks to write a check. And they don't ever sell just one check unless you get like a cashier's check, right? That's right. That's right. I'm trying to think of other methods. I'm pretty sure some doctor's offices, like if you're paying a copay Mm -hmm. or something, will will accept a check. And grocery stores. They also both uh, have demographics that will tend to include older people. Exactly. It just seems – yeah, you're right. Especially the older people, that's just more of like a, you know – old school way of paying that people don't want to fully phase out because it makes certain customers uncomfortable. They want to be able to do things the way they're used to being able to do things. Mm-hmm. But inherently, checks are a very inefficient means of paying because it takes a while for the money to come out of your account. There's the whole joke of don't cash this till Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, like Checks in the mail. Uh, checks in the mail or AKA I'm writing you a check that at this particular point in time isn't any good. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that that, mm-hmm. that, 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 that is a sort of a pitfall of, of check writing and, and accepting really more than anything. But unlike credit cards, checks do not incur interest in that way. So that's one appeal people could see. Also, some people have the comfort, especially if they're locked into the technology, they have the comfort of physically writing out their ledger, balancing their checkbook. You know, For some people, that can feel the way that um, people of certain religions feel when they are handling rosaries. I, I, I say certain religions, but, it, you know, like Catholicism, I guess, would be the main one. I'm yes. Not, I'm not a rosary surgeon or doctor. I think there are more than just Catholicism. Eastern Orthodox? Yeah, I, I just know that that's one of them. So – Was that the beads thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we see that despite the fact that so many transactions do still occur in cash for a number of years, the United States and many, many other places have been moving away from physical currency. It's true. Fewer and fewer adults are using printed or minted U.S. currency, bills and coins at all now. There are some people who are just like, well, why would I touch cash? It's, it's dirty. It smells. We have some, uh, we have some filthy statistics about – about physical currency in earlier episodes. You don't like touching change, but how do you feel no. about cash? I'm okay with it. You're okay with it? Yeah. The tactile-ness of it all works for you? Yeah. Okay. And thank you for checking, by the way. I'm just I making sure. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot more thong contact with the bills, though. Thong contact? That's yeah. what I'm there for. Oh, you mean like in the club? I'm assuming in the club. Okay. Uh, or duck club, I guess. Well, the thong is what you make of it, you know. Well, you know, I keep my cash in my shoe. Some people keep uh, cash in their thong. Yeah. You might even have a like a little extra compartment maybe at a hip. Wait, is a thong not a shoe? I thought we were well, talking that's a type about of, uh, That's a type of flip-flop, yes. Yeah. I would, oh. The thong is a, is a component of the flip-flop. I guess you could call them thongs. Wait, so if people say that, then what are we talking about? Paul shrugs and says yes. I was talking about underwear. I was talking about salacious undergarments. Oh, wow. Now, don't that, be coy. You knew what you were talking about. I had no idea. My mom keeps her cell phone in her brassiere. Is that weird? A lot of people yeah. keep their stuff at br- knives, uh, y- Gas cards, probably bundles of cash, beepers, guns, bundles of cash. What about the old money clip? Drugs. Uh, I want to see that make a comeback. uh, It's still around. Money clips are still around, as are money belts, which Mm. are like the nerdy pocket protectors you wear abroad. Wait, so is that like a a, a fanny pack exclusively for cash? 
Uh, it doesn't have the carrying capacity of fanny packs, but yeah, most money belts will be worn under clothing and they will strap around like a fanny pack. Not all. You can get some cool ones that are like a docker. Uh, it's not the word's probably not docker's clutch, but you know what I'm talking about the shoulder holsters for guns that you see in uh, sure. different detective of course. detective films and works of fiction. This is this is interesting though. To to get back to this idea of few people using printed currency. According to the Pew Research Center, about three in ten Americans said they go an entire week without touching cash at all. And that number has risen in 2015, used to be a, a, a quarter of the population. But at the same time, the people who said that all or nearly all of their purchases were made using cash, the people who are the opposite of the card, the cardholders, that number was 24% in 2015, and now it's fallen to 18%. And that trend seems set to continue. There's a lot of uh, research going into this on the side of, surprise, the the banking system. And Facebook. And Facebook, yes. Facebook wants to have its own currency. Now check this out. In this survey of 2,000 Americans, U.S. Bank found that half, 50% of respondents, said they carry cash with them less than half the time they're out. That makes sense. I can identify with that. I get it. When they do carry cash, 76% said they keep less than 50 bucks on hand and nearly 50% have less than $20 when they're walking around. And that I think makes a lot of sense when you're talking about the amount of money you get generally out of an ATM or something, which mm. is, I would say, primary, the primary way you get cash unless it's a gift or something. Sure. Um, and those are generally, not always, going to be 20s. So I can imagine a 20 that you carry around because you might need it, or 40 maybe. Mm -hmm. Your emergency stash, right? Exactly. If you're in a situation where you need to uh, pay for cash-only transaction, as we know there are a lot of places, especially in larger cities, that are cash-only. Yeah, right? and they won't take anything above a 20 a lot of times. Right, right. That's absolutely true. We see a divided demographic. There are social implications to the cashless society because there are surprising divides between the way that we uh, use currency, digital or physical, today, even before some weird sci-fi stuff. We know that there are clear demographic divides here. One of the first, which should not surprise anyone, is age. The second one should surprise people, but the yeah. first one is age. We know that the younger you are, the less likely you are to use cash. Funny thing, I, I was actually at the uh, courthouse the other day for jury duty. I was very lucky that I, I actually got selected to be on a jury, and the uh, you were case, lucky. Well, you didn't get. I didn't get to the lucky. Part. Oh, okay, apologies. I was selected to be on a jury, and the case wrapped in that same day. Ah. and I have to say, I actually quite once I uh, made peace with the whole thing that I was going to be there, you know, until seven o'clock at night, uh, and knew that it was pretty much guaranteed to wrap that day. I really enjoyed the whole process, but in the cafeteria of the uh, of the courthouse, they say. 20s only accepted for purchases over a certain dollar amount, which was a very specific caveat that I'd never seen before for accepting 20s. That's odd. That's a weird That's really, really yeah, odd. I thought so too. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that before and then it's usually – I would say rather than something nefarious that typically is going to be uh, the – due to the fact that the tills only have so much change they can make. Right. You know, and it makes they, sense. They probably can't go to a bank and get that cracked down to fives. It makes sense. And also, how many people? How many people make 
a tiny purchase to break a 20 so that they can pay for parking or they can pay for some other related incident. I didn't think about the parking deal because that's a big part of going to the courthouse is paying for parking. They don't validate it at the courthouse. Yeah, yeah. They definitely don't. The benefits of citizenship do not go that far. Nope. So let's jump back to these demographics really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want to hit on age, which uh, again makes I think a lot of sense when Mm -hmm. you're thinking about this issue. Um, So younger people, let's call them millennials, tend to ditch physical cash for, you know, stuff that you can do on your phone or things you can use virtually like credit, debit, digital payments, uh, Apple Pay, Venmo, Zelle. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just goes on and on. PayPal. Um, In fact, more than one in 10 millennials use this thing, their digital wallet, the thing on your phone that you probably Mm -hmm. have access to right now if you wanted. They use that for every purchase. And that is according to a separate report made by Experian. Right. So that's not Pew Research anymore. That's Experian. And we see that overall 34%, let's call it one-third, of adults under the age of 50 typically don't use cash. That's, that's a crazy number. People over 50 years old, uh, the, the number is much lower. Only 23% of people over 50 say, I've gone a whole week without using physical currency. But here is one of the distressing demographic divides. This is the one that should give us food for thought. We do see divisions along economic lines, along the lines of just straight income. It turns out that no matter who you are in the U.S., if you have an annual household income of over 75 grand, you are more than twice as likely to avoid using physical cash than someone who's making $30,000 or less per year. That let's look at this a different way. Lower income adults in this country are four times as likely as higher income adults to say that they make all or almost all of their purchases with cold, hard scratch, cheddar, pony pony bones is another one, right? Do we have another one? Wasn't there an, pony bones? That's a good one. Wampum? That's Wamp- not okay. Mm, uh, I don't know. Bread. Bread's good. I like I like bread. I want to bring back bread. Ooh, yeah. Skrilla. Skrilla's good. You said scratch already, right? Scratch really, is a great really one. dig scratch. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the cool thing. <laughs> this quote out of context will sound strange. That's the cool thing about a capitalist society. You know, love it or hate it. People can use almost any term to describe money, and everyone else in the room will get it. You know yeah, what I mean? I get like forty dracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a couple toe knuckles short on that, so mm-hmm. I got the hamburger instead of the cheeseburger. Yeah, it was. It was. I couldn't believe they wanted me to spend ninety nine more scounced to upgrade to that. <laughs> Are you tracking the scounced? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. This is already a controversial topic, the idea of a world without physical currency, but it's only going to grow more controversial over the next few years, and we're going to see programming wars about it. This is going to be a hearts and minds conflict, especially in developed countries. There are experts out there who will tout the benefits of a cashless economy, and they have valid points. They'll say, well, it's more safe for people working in retail. The people who work at all-night convenience stores and have that sign that says we keep no more than X amount of dollars in the register and it's time released, we can't let you into the safe, that doesn't matter anymore. Or are they going to stick people up with a thumb drive in the future and say transfer all of your right. digital money to, to me? That's going to make it a whole hell of a lot harder that for sure. That sounds sci-fi but I'm pretty sure that's something that could happen. 
those card readers, mm-hmm. you can just put it in your cell phone. And if somebody has a, a gun and a friend has a cell phone with a card reader. You're I, talking about square-based robberies? Oh, yes. Robbing an, indivi- robbing an individual. That's what I'm talking about. taking them out of their pocket, holding them up and saying, yes. swipe your. That's yeah. actually a really good point, Matt. That, that happens terrible. a lot. That happens does, a lot. Does it terrible. really? I've never heard reports of that, but it makes perfect sense People that it would. People robbed and forced to go to ATMs happens yes, too. You know, that that's very common. Happens. But that's still a cash situation. But it starts with the card. It you, does, but you could argue that uh, you could track the robbery if someone used their Square that's true, account. and you can, but think about – so we have many people listening today who have found uh, fraudulent charges on their cards. The bank will hopefully return that, refund it, whatever. Uh, but the person who did that, you know, who took that cash or made usually made a purchase somewhere, they don't have to worry about it. They're gone. They've skedaddled to the horizon and are, you know, like capering around the pile of other stolen credit cards they have. But that – so we already see holes in the argument of safety, right? We also see, to the point you just made, Noel, we also see that there is an ease of tracking otherwise suspicious or occulted payments that exist in the gray, red, and black markets. For anybody wondering what the gray, red, and black markets are and what the difference is between them, the black market is all the illegal dark web stuff. The gray market would be things that are not inherently illegal but maybe skirt some of the regulations in a transaction. You know what I mean? The red market is all about human trafficking. Yes. I'm just kidding. No, you're right. The red market is organ trade. Okay, yeah. I I thought we were going there but I wasn't sure. I thought maybe you had something up your sleeve. And check out our shows on on the red market and we, every show we do somehow touches on the black market at some point. But, but with this, we also see a lot of criticism. So just as there are proponents on the side of the, the concept of a cashless economy, there are vocal critics. And they're asking, could a truly cashless society just be another step along the path toward an all-powerful Orwellian dictatorship, will this spell the end of financial privacy if such a thing still exists today, which is a different question? And then what will a world without cash mean? And what happens in a future where bills and coins literally just become collectible items, you know, like old stamps? Are the critics, in short, right to be concerned? We'll learn about that right after a word from our sponsor. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joy of having your finances in order. That makes us fast for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit facet.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current Facet members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Here's where it gets crazy. The short answer is absolutely And it seems that both the proponents of this concept and the opponents of this concept are going to see their theories in action. The rubber will hit the road and much sooner rather than later. In fact, the cashless society already exists in some places. It's much further along than we might like to think. Right. So in Sweden, um, right now, only 1% of the economy operates on on currency, on cash, on, on, on uh, paper and coins. That is a tenth of the rate elsewhere in Europe. Uh, we know the Swedes are, are always up on the latest trends. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, and they're really good at kind of streamlining things and uh, making things pretty efficient. So it's interesting to see how it's working out there. And uh, this is only one-eighth of the rate here in the United States of, uh, of folks in, in areas that are, that are going cashless. So the New York Times says that only about one in ten Swedes paid for anything – Anything at all in cash in 2017. That's amazing. Think about that. You, have, you are one of 10 people in Sweden. You meet up once a year and you say, what did you buy? Because you have weird Swedish parties. I don't know. That means that only one person in the room spend cash on anything. You should call that number Ask a Swede and yeah. see if, if they bought anything with cash in 2017. That's That'd a great I, that's a great idea unfortunately they pulled the number. You what? can no longer call a Swede. Oh, that's a shame. It is a shame. I had a lot of fun with that one and I hate phone calls. You actually called it? Yeah, I called oh. Ask. Why not? I just, you know, it's one of the things you talk about, but but you never do. But Ben, you're a man of action. <laughs> well, I spoke with a uh, one time particular that sticks out in my head. I spoke with a delightful uh, retired lady 
and uh, it, was, it was a great experience. I hope she's doing well. I don't think she listens to the show. So what are what are the big the big red flags, the big mm. concerns about you know you know we always think of Sweden as everyone's happy and idyllic and living in uh, you know tiny homes or whatever and uh, not spending cash. Uh, they, they seem happy. They're rocking ABBA twenty four seven. You right? know that's right. That has to be the only way. Uh, but what's the, what's the issue? If they if they if they seem like they like it, they seem like they have a good quality of life. Uh, where does where does it break down? Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the twenty billion dollar question, or one dollar, depending on how inflation works out. We have easily discernible concerns about a cashless economy, and no doubt in this show we will be preaching to the choir partially. First, we have to look back at what we've already proven. We have proven there is an inherent economic divide between the haves and the have-nots when it comes to cash. If you the less money you make, the more likely you are to use cash in general. That's a very broad brush, but so far everything we found proves that this is the case. This means that it is highly likely that a purely digital society could spell disaster for low-income residents, people who tend to use physical currency. So I'm going to introduce some jargon here, which is I think a little bit disturbing. There's There are a couple industry terms. One is unbanked and one is underbanked. They mean what they sound like. Underbanked means that there's a financial institution that says, hey, this person should be more included in our system. And unbanked means I don't know how, but this joker is living under the table. They're only using cash for everything. They've deleted their Facebook, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It has these implications that if you are not participating in the financial system, you are either deprived or – potentially dangerous. There's a, it's, um, it's a little bit of a, what do you call it, Chomsky-esque, Bernays-esque packaging. Well, we can see how that somewhat makes sense, especially if you think with my migration issues uh, here mm-hmm. in, the Uni- in the United States alone, like uh, just residency. And, and if you are here by some means that is outside of the legal ways of staying here in the United States, then the only way to go is to not have a bank account and to use cash for everything. Because that if you were to get a bank account, your identity would be attached to it and you'd be found out. It's the same as uh, voter ID laws. Uh, There's arguments that that disenfranchises people Mm -hmm. because it affects, you know, people that are in poverty who may be can't can't get an ID or for for whatever reason or living outside the law in some capacity. Yeah. Or never have enough money at any one time to keep in a bank so to the, to the point where they're not being charged for not having enough money in the bank at all times. Cuz let's not forget that is absolutely a thing. Yeah, which is so insane. Paying uh, for the privilege of getting your money out. Future historians uh, will take note of that, I would hope. On this point, uh, we also see the problem of uh, prerequisite paperwork, right? You want a bank account and you don't have proof of residency, one, maybe proof of identity, two, and it's similar to the voter ID stuff. This is, uh, this is a way – I know it feels like a strong word, but this is a way – to potentially financially disenfranchise people. Uh, And then they are forced to work with the smaller and smaller slice of the financial pie that does allow cash dealing. Right now, there there is a trend, a downward trend. Fewer and fewer people are quote-unquote unbanked or underbanked. But 
between 5 and 18% of people living in this country currently don't possess credit cards. And I would say, well done. You know, no judgment if you have one. Uh, they, they are useful, right, if you're responsible with them. But there are a lot of people who have very valid reasons that they don't want to interact with credit cards. And this, this leads us to the ultimate question regarding this first concern. Should paying customers, potentially paying customers, be barred from stores or restaurants because they don't have, you know, uh, an American Express or a Visa or a Discover or, of course, the the last word in credit, a diner's club? Ooh. That's still a thing? <laughs> Seems to have maybe gone the way of checks. It's still around. Yeah. Surely, surely diner's club is still around. Who wants to dine and not be in a club? Is that similar to a AAA or is that I, – I think the idea is that it, you subscribe to it and it gives you discounts at, at, at uh, places that accept it or something? Or? Yeah, it was the first card really. It was like the first um, you would call payment card company in history. Uh, I think now technically it's owned by Discover. Yeah, so, there you go. So Diners Club is no longer independent. It's an institution though. You know, they want to hold on to that branding. I watched one of the old commercials. You can still see them on YouTube. Can but, we can we talk about something here, guys? Yeah. The the concept of not not using digital currencies or credit cards out of preference because they you just somebody doesn't like it. Because my dad is one of those people where mm. he very much will be carrying around cash on purpose to do everything he's going to do for that day or for that uh, trip or that week, he will mm -hmm. make all the purchases in cash and then he's done with it. And that's tremendously convenient, right? Because mm -hmm. then that makes a purchase stand alone. Yes. Right? And his books are are balanced because he did that one transaction of taking the cash out and he's right. done. So this leads into the huge second concern, which is privacy. And this is a concern that should be uh, in the forefront of everyone's mind. It's only becoming more important over time. Because – like you said, Matt, many people who do not use credit cards avoid them out of preference rather than necessity. So do we start telling these people then that they must use these methods of payment while everyone knows very well that we're essentially making these people contribute to increasingly thorough and sophisticated profiles of their individual lives each and every time they make a purchase? And then do we just uh, do we just be Pollyanna about it, uh, as as Dan would say? Do we just sort of fiddle dee dee our way around the fact that this is one piece of a larger profile that may involve other aspects of your personal life? Do we ignore those implications? We cannot. We will dive further into the rabbit hole after a word from our sponsors. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. 
From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Does money stress you out? Let Facet flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding Facet immediately put us. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. We're back. Let's go a little further away from the light of what's proven and explore the shadows beyond. The things that could happen, that might happen, that haven't happened yet, or most distressingly, the things that may be happening now, despite the fact that no one's really talking about them on your local news affiliate. This is the first one. What if private financial powers are pushing cashless currency as a way to wrest control of money from the state? Mm. This may feel kind of small for, for some of us, but the fact of the matter is that historically, the, the ability to print money, the ability to be the person who determines the value of whatever these coupons or articles of faith may be uh, – that ability, this sovereign creator, originator of currency, this this power is something that is tremendously important to states. It's up there with having the ability to legally kill people. It's up there with having the ability to have a standing army, right? This is, this is a life and death thing economically for a lot of state actors. How do you pay for a standing army if you can't 
print your own currency. You got to rely on somebody else. How do you maintain an army if you cannot be the one who determines the value of money? You know what I mean? So what if this what if this becomes something where let's say the United States of America or Sweden, New Zealand, <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever place you want to you, you want to name, what what if there's a situation where a country's entire currency then becomes controlled by a consortium of financial powers or a single financial power. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. What if what if Chase Manhattan one day decides to you know that they think Nigeria is a problem. So they just remove their access to that financial network where they say because we are the source, because we are the faucet through which this financial uh, fluid flows, we will cut off the faucet. And like, I mean, you could argue bad PR move. Sure. Is it their right to do that? Yes. If they control it, I mean, might makes right in this situation, you know, especially if they have the backing of other antagonistic state powers and Nigeria rightly says, hey, we should be in charge of our currency. And then maybe Western powers say, nah, we talked to the folks at Chase Manhattan. They've got a pretty good case. We're going to make this a win-win for everyone, right? It's weird. It reminds me of resource extraction problems in other countries, like with oil and the control of over oil fields and whether it's a state-run thing or a privately-run thing. And then what happens when somebody comes in and wants yours, wants to control yours, like a, a foreign entity wants to come in and control your currency, or the transactions, at least, that occur in your country. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, you know, evidence proves, I don't know why this is, why everybody is still pretending this is some sort of controversial or hot take. Evidence proves that the reason Western powers got involved in Libya and created regime change was entirely because the French government wanted to retain uh, hegemonic control over the currency. And I'm not, I'm not defending Muammar Gaddafi, I'm not picking a horse in the race. That's just what happened. And you can you can Google it, you can search it, because at this point, the truth of that conflict does not matter. Wow. To I mean, to the people who would censor it. Yeah, of course. Maybe it's past the news cycle. It's uh, whatever. Right? Yeah. And that went quick, too. I mean, uh, we talked about that for like two weeks. Dusty tomes of currency and international trade. Why Why would you dedicate time to that, man? The Mandalorian season one is out. Huh? <laughs> Maybe if Baby Yoda was on currency, people would care more. Or the Ooh, child, geez. technically. Speaking of currency and Baby Yoda, did you hear that Build-A-Bear is coming out with a Baby Yoda plushie? No. Those are going to fly off the shelves, man. That's going to become its own currency, I tell you. Mm. Uh, the kids... They love the baby Yoda. You know who else loves the baby Yoda? Everyone. Literally everyone else. It's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, get your get your uh, cashless wallets out. Mm -hmm. Start scanning them at the Build-A-Bear. I mean, make no mistake, right? That's what people want you to do. That's what the people in control of the money want you to do. They want you to not spend cash to buy your Yoda Build-A-Bear. Well, and funny too, the language that even like, you know, Apple uses in terms of the, the app on your phone that stores all your, your money and your cards that you can scan in. They call it a wallet. Yeah. Everyone's using that terminology because people are comfortable with that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, 
they're trying. They, they, it, it would behoove them to, to move away from a cashless economy. Everyone – they want people to spend money online and have it be one-click purchases using your yeah. thumbprint, you know, like – so you don't even have time to think about it. Right. We do we do see some interesting psychology at play there. And this this has moved, to be absolutely crystal clear, this has moved far beyond some kind of boardroom conversation or some professors of differing opinions arguing in a civil manner. The the war for how you spend money, and it is turning into a war, that this this war has gone to the streets. If you live in the Western world, You have seen banks shutting down branches, shutting down ATMs, right, automatic uh, teller machines. This is – they're not for nothing are they doing this. Uh, This is an attempt to push consumers into using those digital payment systems first and using that digital banking infrastructure because, again, there is tremendous power in owning the system. I would also say there's a profit motive. This isn't necessarily – this isn't inherently nefarious if you believe what the the uh, official statements of the banks say. There's a clear cost-cutting motive here because if you have a branch, you have to have staff. You have to have security. You have to pay these people, right? And if you replace them with a self-service app, you know, uh, your your banking app, you can check on your phone. You can just use that information to buy things. You can put your card number in your Amazon account and what have you. You can take a picture of your check if you just got paid and it gets deposited. What? That's pretty nuts, right? Uh, and you have to wonder about the technology there. Yeah. Sorry, that just that blew my mind when I watched my wife do that. I went, you can – no. No, you can't. Take that to the bank right now. <laughs> I didn't believe it at first either. I think it has some security issues. But when you, when you put everybody into a system like this, you're saving the executives of the banking institutions a ton of money. Right, and that yeah. does translate to the bottom line. You're saving shareholders cash as well. You're also allowing um, – in a way, you're allowing another – revenue stream, a passive revenue stream, and you, the customer, by the way, you get nothing. It's a Willy Wonka moment, right? Or it could be, we believe in nothing, Lebowski. That's what I make. Yeah. Uh. So, so that makes sense. And it's a business. There's nothing wrong with that. But also people need to be aware that your transactions in an entirely electronic system become another package that can be sold to data aggregators without anything other than your blanket approval because you didn't read the terms and conditions when you clicked. What? Who would would do that? Who would not read the terms and conditions? (laughs) Besides literally everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, all of the employees who just lost all their jobs to the app. Oh, boy. (laughs) But wait a minute, though. All these transactions are encrypted, right? I mean... What are they selling? They're selling just the the contents. Like, They're selling the the, uh, the metadata of, data. of yeah. yeah. That, okay, that makes sense. So you can't exactly tie it to an individual per se, but you can tie it to a demographic or you could tie a it product to a lot of or well, yeah, yeah. I wonder how it's used if if it's, if it's anonymized in that way. Like, how granular do you think that information gets for folks that buy it? It's companies? still evolving. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and this. I mean, think about how if you are an Apple iPhone user, depending on the model of iPhone you have, think about how 
if you spend time doing routine things, your phone, depending on the settings, will just start proposing alerts or alarms for you, right? That it's it, it's a similar it's a similar reach into your brain. So Banks did a Comcast move or Xfinity Ooh. or whatever you want to call it. So there was a when net neutrality was still a huge debate. Uh, Comcast was one of the co- uh, companies lobbying intensely to remove net neutrality to be able to sell you a an internet agreement the same way that you would agree to a cable package. Yeah, like a la carte. Mm-hmm. Certain channels. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you can you can pay for basic Google or Wikipedia, but then if you want to go visit something else, you have to pay the internet service provider. So of course it's a cash grab, obviously. But the main the the main point, the reason I bring this up is that when asked about this, Comcast said things like, well, we talked to consumers and they want more choice. That's what we're giving them. We're giving them more choice. That is such bullshit. Well, guess what the banks are saying? Hey, all these customers, they want to do everything online. They want to do everything electronically. We're giving them what they want. But that's such circular or like, you know, inherently flawed logic is they're saying we're going to give you more choices by limiting your choices than selling you back the choices you originally had at an a la carte premium. In the Comcast case, absolutely. Yeah, in, in this one is just they're just saying, hey, we'd rather do this the fast way through my phone or whatever than uh, having to go to a bank, do mm-hmm. cash, do that kind of thing. Well, think about it. Think about the argument this way. Let's let's walk through it. The argument for the financial institutions is, hey, we're not saying people have to do this. We are reacting to what our customers want because we are very customer focused. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're here to make you guys happy. But what they're what they're actually doing, if you look at the behaviors and you look at the policies in play, their activities uh, conform much more closely to a concept from behavioral economics, which is called nudging. And we've talked about this a little bit when we talked about opting in or opting out on a driver to be an organ donor and a driver's license application. If people are automatically opted in, then they're much less likely to opt out. Also, shout out to to a listener. You wrote to us and brought up a fantastic point. They said some people would be against being organ donors on their license because they genuinely believe that if they're in a traumatic injury and they're, you know, they're in a touch and go situation in a hospital and they are marked as an organ donor, then in some cases the medical professionals might just let them go or not try as hard to keep them around. Yeah, shout out to Sterling for writing to us. Yes, thank you so much, Sterling. That was a fantastic point. Nudging is like that. Let's say everybody does option A. It doesn't matter what option A is. It could be a burrito bowl. It could be uh, it could be paying with cash. You know, it could be uh, uh, what what are those what are those things that used to be on the front of pants? The little wrinkles, pleats, uh, pleats. Yes, they're, 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 they're still around. It could be pleated pants. Option A, but you want. Whichever, whatever business you are, you want people to do option B. People are more used to option A. They understand it. They get it. That burrito bowl makes sense to me. I like to pay with cash. I've always had these pants. What you do instead, instead of saying you have to pay with a card or you have to order the quesadilla or you have to wear unpleated pants, you just make it slowly and slowly more difficult 
to get that burrito bowl. Now it's no longer on the menu. You can still order it, but you have to make it a custom order. You can still pay with cash, but you have to go to one certain line in the grocery store. You can still wear pleated pants, but they're not making any new ones. You can see this at work if you've ever, this is odd, but if you've ever been on a turnpike or a, you know, a road where you have to pay for the privilege, a toll road where you have to pay for the privilege to be on that road, um, where in a lot of the lanes, when I was a kid growing up, it was all you would pay cash to get through or money basically, right? Then it became, well, you can pay cash or you can pay with a card of some sort. Well, then it became a system where you can pay to put a thing on your car that lets you run, like ride right through the toll. And, but generally you could just, they had, I think, two lanes in a lot of places, especially on the Florida Turnpike, where you could use that special cashless system, but then everybody else got to go and pay. And then you kind of, over all the years, the cashless system began moving further and further to the right on the highway where Mm -hmm. all the lanes are then that. And then you can only really take one or two lanes to pay with cash. Because the rest, it's essentially a subscription service. You are subscribing to the road. Exactly. And (laughs) it's true. Well, it's what you're doing with a card, really. You're subscribing to a company that is just going to cycle money for you. You're you're subscribing to that sandbox. Everything you buy or purchase use in that sandbox – their eyes are on it. It's not inherently bad. And also there's a – to be completely fair, there is a great argument about how you ha- – how long it takes to make that shift. You know, you'd leave a lot of people out in the cold if you just turned everything cashless. Yes. That's what we're saying, right? Eventually that sandbox gets so big that uh, you don't get to play if you don't participate in it, mm-hmm. you know, because the sandbox takes up the entire – Playground and uh, no <laughs> more swings. This. It's all it's all just yeah. sandbox. Exactly, exactly. And in that case, for this, if you had a million dollars in cash in a cashless society, that doesn't matter until the moment you take that cash to a financial institution and they take that physical cash from you and they put some bleeps and some bloops in their computer system. And now you're now you're an, a millionaire who can use their money. That's crazy. That is just – I get the logic behind it, but if you think about it, like explaining that to an extraterrestrial or to someone who's never heard of money, that sounds kind of arbitrary. Is yeah. there an argument that this thing would also eliminate like some aspects of crime? hmm Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, the idea of money laundering is turning dirty cash into some other form or whatever, and if you can't – spend the cash in the first – I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. or, or, you know, again, drugs is a transactional cash economy in and of itself of scale. What happens then, you know? Exactly. And not that I know this personally, but I know a lot of drug dealers do take Venmo. That's, yeah. that's, that's a thing. <laughs> you just be mindful of the emoji you choose to use, right? Uh, so <laughs> it's true. Uh, we should also say that Cutting costs in addition to increasing government surveillance potential, which I think is what we're getting at, it also could save a lot of money for government because now think about it. You can shut down the mint. You don't need to pay uh, – like in the U.S., we pay a quasi-public, I believe is the euphemism we use. We pay a quasi-public entity to create that stuff more or less out of nothing and then charge us for doing that. 
and now you're out of that. You're potentially out of that relationship. So you can save money on infrastructure. You can increase uh, whatever you want to call your surveillance system. Probably call it national defense or security. You know, something people will vote for. But let's let, let's get back to the nudge. How do we do this? There's a journalist named Brett Scott who wrote a great piece for The Guardian over in the UK. And Scott found a great real-life example until I heard your anecdote about toll roads, Matt. This was my favorite one. I, this just, is still my favorite one. We just pulled the quote. This, this, should hit anybody. this should hit at home if you've been to a grocery store. And here's the quote from Brett Scott. We can illustrate this with the example of self-checkout tills at supermarkets. Yes, again, this is obviously the best example. The underlying agenda is to replace checkout staff with self-service machines to cut costs. But supermarkets have to convince their customers. They thus initially present self-checkout as a convenient alternative. When some people then use that alternative, the supermarket can cite that as evidence of a change in customer behavior and say, hey, I'm just, this is Matt now, hey, hey that's what they want, right? Back to the quote, which they then use to justify a reduction in checkout employees. This in turn makes it more inconvenient to use the checkout staff, which in turn makes customers more likely to use the machines. Then slowly they'll wean you off staff completely and nudge you just gently towards self-service. And that is certainly a thing that has been happening. And you, we can see it over the course, at least in uh, – the waves that have been coming over the past, what, decade? For sure. I mean, and also think about, think about how irrelevant the data they pull is. If you want something to sound like a good decision, sure, it's, it's a good decision if you say 50-plus percent of our customers prefer self-checkout. But you can also say 8 to 10 percent of our customers immediately jumped on self-checkout, which is an indicator of a positive trend because it was zero. So it doesn't matter. The numbers don't really matter. Well, and also, I mean, just the reality of of having, let's say, six self-checkout lines or lanes available, whatever you want to call them, terminals, mm -hmm. and you've only got two people on staff who are actually working in the supermarket checking people out. Right. Now that's less uh, less you have to pay into uh, insurance. Well, yeah, it, it's all of that. But it's also if you're a customer standing there, you even if you want to go and actually interact with a person and do it that way, mm -hmm. it's going to move a lot slower. And you know it is just by the fact that there are only two of those versus six of these. Right. Right. So the line is going to move faster with the the uh, self-checkout anyway. I, I don't know. It's just there's so much psychology. I love that we're talking about this nudge in this way. Yeah. I, I mean, to be completely clear, this is just one person's uh, opinion, one person's perspective. Uh, I'm all about minimizing human contact. <laughs> if I have a self-checkout, that's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, that's going into data collection thing, which I know I've hobby horsed about earlier. It's like when when you call an automated line for a utility bill or something, and now because they want to gather uh, vocal data on you, not because they hate you, but because they want to they want to sell that to help increase the sophistication of voice recognition technology. I hate that. It's too much like talking to a person. Let me push one. Let me push yeah. one. Then let me push four or nine or whatever and keep it moving. I, I hear you. I think just this is the last thing. I think um, 
primarily I'm just speaking to the number of people that are being put out of jobs through these, like Absolutely. something like this and will continue to be put out of jobs and may not be able to find a suitable job for them anywhere else because it's the kind of thing where you don't need to have a ton of education. There's a lot – They like this is a good job. A supermarket – It can be a career. It, yeah, it can be. It can career. be a great job. And it's just one of those things that it's going away like so many other positions in on on our planet for for someone who – just didn't happen to go and get a degree in one field or another. And right? drown in debt, right? Yeah. Well, here, let's let's emphasize that too. I don't want to lose what you're saying. I think it's profound. We are moving, in theory, potentially, if everything works out, we're moving toward a post-work economy. The kind of – the post-scarcity stuff you hear about in fictional universes like Star Trek. However – before we get there, even if we do a really kick-ass job of it, before we get to the post-work economy, we're going to walk through the dark woods of the post-worker economy. Yeah. Wherein people still have all the same human needs, but the system has changed such that the task we have to do to satisfy those needs, like having a job or participating in the coupon system, those options will be gone. And this – this is a re this is a real and a frightening thing. You just got to watch ads all day. You just have to watch ads all day, like in Black Mirror. Right? And your allocated funds have to go, you know, have to be spread out a certain amount every quarter. And your blinks and attention are counted. Cover your cameras for peace. Seriously. Sake. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm the, I think I'm the only one at this table here that doesn't have their camera covered. <laughs> I I cover on my laptop. I cover my uh, I, I cover one of the cameras with a sticker mm -hmm. that says "Yay" because I'm trying to work on being a more positive person. It really does say "Yay." <laughs> mm -hmm. It's one day at a time, guys. So let's go back to Scott because he, Scott also traces this purely to corporate profit. He says, quote, payments companies such as Visa and MasterCard want to increase the volume of digital payment services they sell while banks want to cut cost. So it is a win-win for those two genre of entity. But he continues with a little bit of psychology about the nudge and it's this. The nudge is a, it's a two-part con. Maybe that's unfair for me to call it that. It's a two-part process. If you want to call it a con – be my guest. I didn't call it a con. That was you, man. <laughs> that was that was that was me. And again, that's we have to be very careful. That's one person's opinion. So first, the idea is that we we increase the inconvenience of using cash, ATMs, and physical branches. We increase the barrier cost to it. Right? It's harder to find one. Maybe the hours are more and more limited, uh, and so on. And maybe fewer places accept cash, like Starbucks is starting to experiment with cashless, uh, cashless shops and so on. So the second step is it's not enough to make it a, a pain in the ass to do this stuff. To really sell the nudge, then we need to aggressively, almost militantly promote our chosen alternative, our chosen successor of behavior. We're – making people learn that they want digital. We're presenting it to them as though it is their idea, right? And then they are functioning under the illusion that they have chosen it. So, I am so glad I can use this now and I got to be able to use this because the alternative was just so terrible. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, of course, this, again, this is not inherently insidious. This is a profit motive, right? And for many people, at least according to the bank's research, for many people, this is the way they want to go. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Agreed. <laughs> so, so let's look at let's look at the possible scenarios. Let's let's get real dystopian. Yeah, our favorite thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so hold on to your yay stickers and so on. So let's say we live in cashless economy. It's it's anomalous. Paying with cash in this world is as unusual as seeing someone in the grocery store pay with a physical check. Right. And you're like, oh, this line's going to take forever now. They look, I got, I got stuff to do. They're counting out nickels. What the hell? You know? And then we have an escape from L.A. scale <laughs> event that wipes out all electricity, all computer networks, everything. It's all gone. What do we do? Right. We start from scratch. We go back to conch shells and, and, and shiny rocks. The barter well, system, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's where you're going, but that's certainly one. <laughs> that's like the most dystopian version of this situation, I it, think. It, and it could happen. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it happened in Europe for about 12 hours, okay, back in June 2018 uh, when Visa went down. Their systems went down. So that was pretty crazy, right? It's kind of like what happened with me that one time at the grocery store where just you can't make any transactions anymore. Oh, God, what do I do? You immediately start looting is what you do. Well, no. That's, that's, the, that's the only reasonable thing that you could, I would, you could I do. I would say first things first, ululate loudly <laughs> yeah. and then take a, take a knife and, and cut, <gasps> cut, cut, cut your forearm, not deep, just, just enough. deep enough to bleed. Yeah. So they'll be like, well, this guy's not playing around. Look what he <laughs> yeah. did to himself. Drip it right on the glass scanner thing <laughs> on the, on the self-checkout. Smear it in the shape of a pentagram. Yes. And, oh. and, and that'll be your payment. And then loudly insist you were paying the blood price. And then write a check. <laughs> and then write a check. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it is, a, it is a thing that's happened before. In the case in Europe in 2018, people had cash. They had yeah. euro. They could fall back on that and say, well, that's a real pisser that my card doesn't work. Uh, I, luckily, I, you know, I, I've got 10 euro or mm. something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that didn't work for everybody because when the system was down, the same system that they would use to withdraw physical cash was also not functioning. Right. I'm well, sorry. I, I feel like, quick backtrack. I feel like you buried the lead there a little bit, Ben. Ululate? Yes. Yeah. Ululate. Is that like, oh, no, 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 no. Is that, uh, that is? Okay. exactly yeah. what just, it just is? Just making sure. Just to get sure. the full image, yeah. it's, it's ululation. Cut yourself a little, just enough to bleed. And, Drippity drip. Yeah. Hold your arm horizontal, parallel to the floor, and then cut north to south. Don't ever cut east to west. So, God, it's good ben, advice, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> just for me, like cutting, uh, cutting the body, the human body. Even just talking about it in that way. It yeah, it's not my favorite thing. No, no, that's why I'm saying, guys. Imagine if you're in line at a grocery store and you see that happen. Yeah, you're right. You're it's, freaked out, right? I but this is dystopia. This is the fall of society. This is not Visa going down for twelve hours. So, Hopefully. okay, let's say that there was a digital only system, right? Yeah, and the power goes out. For an extended period of time, like a week, and there is no more cash. There is no way for people to trade cash. No one has access to cash. We've decided we don't use cash anymore, and we've got zero power. 
what happens right what? now? Right now, you would have your phones, perhaps, right, or something, some electronic device that was charged enough during the initial stages. Potentially, if you think ahead, you got a couple of those power bricks laying around that are charged. Maybe, mm-hmm. but think about that on a citywide scale. On you know, if a whole city's power was out. Oh, so what becomes currency then? Power stored energy. I don't know. I, I'm just yeah. asking. I guess just what I'm saying is it becomes a serious issue with a cashless society not to have something to fall back on in the case of an emergency. Right. Will we go to a barter system? And it would have to be that. And how long would it – it would depend on how long it lasts, right? Because the initial move would probably be to institute some sort of dealing on credit system. But if the records are gone, then, and, you know, it gets ugly real quick. Well, let's say let's say that doesn't happen. Okay. Let's say somehow the house of digital cards remains steadfast despite the occasional drafts of wind. Then we move into another problem. If this stuff works perfectly and nothing goes wrong in that front, we run into predictive profiles. So earlier we said they're collecting all this information. As you move in and out of the sandbox. Now, this fine, This is just one piece of you, right? We're, as Whitman said, we're vast. We contain multitudes. The financial footprint is just a single piece of you. But like your thumb, it's linked to the rest of your body overall. So assume this financial information gets linked with medical backgrounds, right? And DNA testing, your propensity for certain maybe disorders or certain uh, manifestations of physical things – It gets tied to your employment history, right? It gets tied to your social affiliations because you're on social media. It gets tied maybe to you get flagged for controversial purchases like firearms, for instance, or maybe in another country where uh, Planned Parenthood is illegal, you get tagged for paying for something that would be a contraceptive or, uh, you know, a terminating a pregnancy. And it also gets linked up with your Google travel information where you've actually been in real time for the past X years that you've had that device. Mm-hmm, your GPS. And it does go back. Yeah. The permanent record is real. And then let's say it gets linked to a criminal background if someone has something like that. How far away are we from a world in which you can legally be detained before you commit any sort of crime just because there's a profile set against you and that this profile has reached something in its algorithm where it says, for instance, uh, you know, this person is now more than 50 percent likely to, let's say, uh, default on a car loan. I mean, they essentially already do that when making the calculus as to whether to give you the loan in the first place. That's true. Let's link it to something scarier. What if they, what if, um, Oh, oh I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that same calculus could be applied to scarier things. Right, right, right. So like, let's say, let's say instead your financial information is linked with your medical background and you are buying – we're just making this up. Your your purchases are indicative of the development, the nascent development of a medical condition that your background says runs in your family and then your insurance gets pre-pulled. Right. Because right. they say, you know, the stuff this person is buying is indicative of a very expensive thing that we don't want to pay for. Right. And the legality of that in our uh, society in, in America – I imagine is is super gray, right? Because mm-hmm. can't I mean you know can't your insurance provider 
deny you for any pre-existing conditions? I mean, yeah. it's all self-reporting, I guess, but they can find out that you were lying and they could theoretically find out you were lying based on said algorithm and say, oh, we were just doing our due diligence. We had access to this information. What did you expect us to do? We're looking out for our interests. Yep. And uh, let's ignore the fact that life is a pre-existing condition. So I – Sure. I, yeah, I – that's maybe that's another episode, but you're absolutely right. The the technology and the trends are there, even if we're not there yet as a species or as a society. There's uh, there's one last one, which is an oldie but a goodie. It's the gritty reboot of using control of a currency as a weapon, and this this happens all the time. We've read Confessions of an Economic Hitman, a fantastic book. Now it becomes more dystopian in an age of digital currency. Now that we're just trading ideas without any physical representation. One great example of this, which is still ridiculous to me, is remember when the Amazon Kindle came out, right? And people were like, oh, this is so convenient. I don't have to haul around tomes anymore. And affordable. It was super affordable. That right. was a big part of it. They were selling the tech at a loss, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. way that Sony sold the PlayStation uh, 3 and 4 at a loss because they were making money on the back end. I, I don't know. On what, the cashless part. Yes. On the app the app store or whatever. The transactions yeah, yeah, yeah. and the games. And I don't know why I did that weird voice, but it's true. So when the Kindle came out, Tons and tons of people got this and they got it as a gift for their relatives, the readers in their life. They got it for themselves, especially people who traveled a lot, so on and so on. But then, as reported by the New York Times, people found that some books, one book in particular, was being remotely wiped from their digital libraries. It didn't matter that they paid for it. It didn't matter that they possessed it as defined by their agreement with Amazon or the publisher It just disappeared. So imagine now, take it one more step, and it's not a very large nor a very steep step. And let's say we are political activists or we are members of an oppressed community. I mean, vegans, vegans got tracked by the FBI for for their diet, uh, and they weren't doing anything disruptive. So perhaps this oppressed community we're in, let's say we're like the Uyghur population in Western China, and we're in increasingly open conflict with the state-level government. If we have physical currency, we can make non-approved purchases. We can buy maybe radio parts to, to create our own radio station, things like that. With digital currency, it is technologically feasible We don't have a case of this happening yet, but it is technologically possible for a single entity to instantaneously erase all of the currency you possess. You have gone from a million to zero. I know that sounds crazy. One last detail there. The book that was removed from the Kindle, do you guys remember which one it was? I don't. It was George Orwell's 1984. Ooh. I think that's a nice... Uh, thematic circle. What are you saying? Are you saying they removed it because they didn't want people to get wise to their scheme? No, <laughs> like, it was obviously a licensing issue. It they was only a publisher. Had, they yeah. only had it. They used to have it there for a certain amount of time and they ran out of that period. Are you kidding? No, I don't know what happened. That's the only thing I can imagine. I think it was a publishing yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. they had to. I don't think there's Scooby. You just think it's funny. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. I think it's gallows <laughs> humor. I don't think they were Scooby-Doo enough to be like, oh, no, these pesky kids yeah, are yeah. going to find out about the threat <laughs> of a surveillance state. 
Oh, dear. Uh, Jessup, did you notice that almost all the Kindle purchasers are reading this 1984 Hubble uh, <laughs> Dreadful. Dreadful. What, what's to be done? I'm a bit worried. They may begin thinking about their own situation. No, we wouldn't want that. The hoi polloi. Uh, best, best just nip it in the bud, old, uh, old bean. Go but, ahead and wipe it. Wipe it all. Tally-ho, now back to the meeting. And pip-pip. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a reenactment. We were reading quotes. That's a conversation. That was an Illuminati boardroom conversation. Yeah. At Amazon, weirdly yeah, enough. Yeah, at Amazon. Uh, it's up to you to figure out uh, what Jeff Bezos was doing. He actually, he is in those meetings, but I think it's mainly to bring coffee to those dudes. There's an Illuminati lounge at most big corporations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got one. <laughs> it's not as nice as I would like. It's not here in Atlanta. No, no, it's no. in New York. Yeah, of course. It's in New York. But it's like, come on, it's New York. You guys can get fresh bagels. You run the world. <laughs> I don't know. They say it's a cost-cutting thing eh, it's a, for a different day. But this is this is where it leaves us, right? This story is not over. And parts of this story haven't happened yet, but it's quite possible they will. The trend toward digital currency continues. Cash still seems set to move along, right? When Kendall's came out, a lot of people were making noise about the so-called death of the book. The book probably won't die because it is cost-effective and there are just so many of them out there. And they are also, unlike a Kindle or unlike electronic methods of reading, they are also very much air-gapped. You know what I mean? If you, That's why burning books is still a thing. If you want to destroy the knowledge in books, you have to destroy every physical copy of it or you have to destroy the knowledge of the language in which the book is written. And between the two, the, the former is much easier to accomplish, right? Yeah. It is weird that they don't require any kind of battery or mm -hmm. Wi-Fi connection. Right, and you don't have to subscribe. You don't have to put your credit card info in. I don't know. Books, man. That's weird. It's so old school. So <laughs> we know, and maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe that's a little too alarmist, but cash is probably not going to go away for some of the same reasons that books haven't gone away. Also, the move toward digital currency is supported, make no mistake, by very, very powerful forces, both in the private sectors, the financial sectors, but also in the public sectors too. If you want an authoritarian government, removing physical currency is a great step forward. There's an inarguable case of, of tremendous potential profit for those entities, that side of the argument. And the customers, most of the people listening today, you, yes, you specifically, the end user of currency and cash, you genuinely have very little say in this matter. Now, of course – the forces at play on the other side of the conversation, they will argue that the move to digital currency is a win-win for all parties. And those concerns we outlined are just that. They're sensationalist. They're fear-mongering. So ask yourself, do you believe their arguments? And if it turns out that even one of those disturbing possibilities outlined here becomes a reality, how would a society return from the precipice? Would there, in short, be a way to reverse the trend if it became clear that 80% of people hated this? And you know, the way this game works, uh, there's probably a human interest story that shows the dangerous implications. Let's say it goes viral and 
80%, over half, fine, over half of the people uh, who can protest this stuff start protesting it. Will it step back? Is there a way or is it like Pandora's jar? One thing we know that's absolutely certain is this. When it comes to a cashless society, there are plenty of things out there the banks and your government do not want you to know, or at least there is stuff they don't want you to think about too long or too deeply until it's too late to turn back. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's a rant. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? You could turn back now. <laughs> or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. No, I, I think you're right on there, Ben. It it feels as though it feels as though we have to go mostly cashless. But I think the scariest thing is that last nudge towards fully cashless. Just because of those scenarios we we built out there, be, everything right here towards the end of this episode, it it does feel like a dangerous scenario well, of of digitizing completely. That that for sure, the the big picture dystopian kind of model and the fears there. But you know, we have gotten to a place where even like you know a, a, a very small independent. Um, entrepreneur or like someone at a farmer's market, say, or a crafts fair can take a card when that used to be prohibitive. Now you got your squares and you just put it on your smartphone, but you're also paying for the privilege of getting paid. And that's a thing too. It sort of takes advantage of people, you know, for participating mm-hmm. in this cashless system. Whereas if someone gives you cash, it's all yours. Or people are leaning now more towards Venmo because there's no fees associated with that. For some reason, which is weird to me because I don't understand how they make money, there is a way where you can have – now there's a new feature on Venmo where to do that bank transfer and have you it could be instant. Yeah. It's like a little you know, negligible portion of the, the, the total amount. In the same way when you do a balance transfer on a credit card, they make their money on charging you a little small percentage of the overall amount. They get a VIG. So wait. Let's say, let's say you're using Venmo. How long does it take for your drug dealer to get paid? I worry well, about that. You know, drug dealers are some – you can be – it can be a very lonely life. You know? I'm just putting this out there. No, no. You get the money instantly, but you, you, but you might – maybe if you're a drug dealer or any other <laughs> small entrepreneur who's getting paid with Venmo, um, <laughs> you don't do the bank transfer right away. You do it all, uh, all at once once you've made a, you know, a significant number of transactions. Right. And then you do it all at once. You wouldn't get paid 20 bucks for a – a marijuana cigarette I'm and, just, then, <laughs> and, and then transfer that 20 bucks right away. You'd wait until you'd sold, you know, uh, uh, several marijuana cigarettes. Just putting this out there, I don't have Venmo. Uh, I've never used Venmo. I probably will never oh, use Venmo. Uh, I pay my um, rent with Venmo. I feel like so, you're really uh, high-roading me right now. Dude, man. no, I'm not high-roading anybody. <laughs> I'm just telling you that Venmo is a giant informant. Venmo knows that all you're doing is buying and selling drugs. And every time you use it... You are talking about it to the person that you are selling or buying drugs to. I'm talking to you out there listening. Every time you do it, I have seen this occur. I have looked at it. You are literally putting evidence of drug dealing so alarmist right on the internet. Evidence record of that. No way. There is. No, he's right. It's evidence of living in the moment, man. It's evidence (laughs) of having a good time. YOLO, I agree. (laughs) But like, it's just so. It feels so short-sighted to actually pay for – just be careful, guys. Sure. Or just don't buy and sell drugs like Maybe me. it's short-sighted on the dealer side to get paid that way. 
I don't know. I guess it works both ways because there's a transaction of both ends. Of, there's a you know record of both ends of the transaction. You are now a known associate of that person. I suppose that's true. We're uh, all getting Kevin Baconed into prison, man. <laughs> Ever since the post 9-11 society and the Patriot Act, you know, that's, that's the way the NSA and the alphabet soup agencies vacuum up potential terrorists. It doesn't have to be your friend. It doesn't have to be your friend's friend. It could be your friend's friend's friend. I think it goes to six degrees of separation, actually. Well, thank God they're more worried about terrorism than small, low-level drug deals. You, well, you, right you, now. You don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. You never, it could switch on you. That stuff's going to be on record until, oh, wait, let me see Apocalypse Times. So maybe just dummy it up, do some transactions and make you look like a great person. Donate some money yeah. to a cause that those authoritarians would agree with. But we want to know what you think. While this episode has ended, the show continues on and you are the most important part of the conversation. So find us and your fellow listeners on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. We particularly like to recommend our Facebook community page, Here's Where It Gets Crazy. You can also find all or some of us uh, as individuals on the internet. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram. Tune in for some more strange adventures in the near future. And I'm at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. You can find me exclusively on Instagram at Brown. You can find Matt on Venmo. <laughs> yeah, all of Venmo. I'm just watching what you're doing and all the drugs you're buying. Make sure to comment on all his transactions because that's a thing people do. <laughs> it really is. Well, it's a it's a it's a feed, you know. So you can make little. You can't comment, but you can like them. It's very yeah. strange. Make you, everything private. Yeah, to the best of your ability. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, give us a call. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave us a message. You might get on the show. At least we're going to hear it, and we really do appreciate your time doing that. We love hearing from you. If you don't want to do any of that, please. Send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. 
United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 